like sands of the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is a sand hourglass that we have here at church. I'm not even sure how long the time is before the sand goes completely to the bottom. Maybe, hopefully, the sermon will be finished before it gets all the way through. We'll have to see. It's a nice visual. Sometimes we might use these to help us know how much time we have left, how much time we have to do something. This one is kind of relaxing and soothing as you can just see how that sand gently falls through to the bottom. Maybe you are a person that is always on time, is always aware of um, the blessing of time and the gift of time. Maybe you're a person who is time blind in that you don't always fully understand how much time it's going to take for something to get done or all of the things that have to happen between transition times too that all add to that overall time it takes for any one thing to be accomplished. Maybe you are a person that has heard throughout your life, don't wait until the last minute. Do things while that sand is falling through. Do things while it's still daylight out and while the sun sh still shines. Do things in little increments all along the way so that you don't have to get to the end and then have everything yet to do or have not quite enough time to do what it takes for you to do what you want to do and to do it well. Along those lines, one of the questions was, what is the most used word here in worship? And so I happen to say, we, we should just figure this out because I thought for sure it would be the word Jesus. Our entire worship service is centered around Jesus who saves us, who teaches us, who sends us out. You would think that it would be number one. Well, one of our very sweet, alert, attentive confirmation students happened to keep careful track all throughout that worship service and reported back to me after that technically Amen was the word that had the higher count by just a couple. Jesus was right there behind. But amen, this Hebrew word that means so be it, is this response that we have that we use in worship to, to kind of give our affirmation affirmation on a prayer that we've been a part of or um, that we've um, lifted up to God together. Maybe it's our response to a song or within a song. Maybe it's our response to the scriptures that we hear or the hopeful uh, lifting up proclamation, sometimes interpretation of those scriptures that leads us to the end of a sermon and we say amen. Maybe it's our response as we come to God's table and receive these amazing gifts of his body and blood, his very spirit of love and forgiveness, giving us the strength that we need and 
giving us what we need to be nurtured and nourished to be sent out as Jesus' followers. Amen. Hey. Maybe there's a good reason why amen had just a little bit higher count in the service. But that also led me thinking about, I wonder what the most commonly texted abbreviation is. Now, I don't know if any of you spend a lot of time texting, but if you've ever gotten a text from me, you know that I don't abbreviate any of my texts. In fact, most of them are like more than just a few words. They're like, you know, sections and sections and sections. But if there is any one thing that I maybe do use as an abbreviation, it's this one, one thing. And I have to say, it's something that I only probably text to my husband. And it's usually later in the afternoon, early evening, followed by a question mark. Any idea what it might be? E-T-A, question mark. Estimated time of arrival. It's an important question to ask. It's uh, something that's helpful in the course of the schedule and the planning of each night, especially because my husband's schedule varies so much from day to day. He could be home at 2.30 in the afternoon, or it could be 7.30 in the evening. Sometimes it's good to know if uh, he'll be home before I have to leave or if um, I should start making dinner or if I should hold off on dinner for a little while or sometimes it's helpful to know if he's stuck in traffic or if there's no reason for me to be worried because he has to finish up something that he's working on so it's gonna be a little bit later but I know he's safe and he's sound at that moment. Those are all the reasons that I text my husband ETA. But you want to know something? There's also one other reason that I also text that abbreviation. You know what it is? It's also to find out how much time I have before he comes home so that I can do this quick dash of the house to the best of my ability, sometimes finishing the thing that he had asked me if I could do that morning and that had gotten pushed aside. Sometimes it's to, to make everything running in our house, like the dishwasher or the laundry, or um, so that he can come home and see that everything is at least in progress and things have been like, um, you know, cleaned up and put away and um, the surfaces aren't filled with backpacks and papers and all kinds of things. And I know whether or not I have to go really fast if he's coming home in 20 minutes or if I have a little time to do maybe a few other things that I would rather do before he comes home. And then I can do the mad dash. ETA, estimated time of arrival. Now in our story for today, it is a parable that I love, but you also have to know what to do with it. 
Because if you interpret it the wrong way, it could actually be a parable that doesn't help you in any way to feel good about yourself or that helps you to know what you should be doing from day to day. At the time that uh, these stories were collected from all of the oral traditions of Jesus that had been passed down and um, the author, our gospel writer says, I have to like record this, I have to capture this so that people um, going forward will, will be able to learn from Jesus too. Now that was much later after Jesus died, probably at least 40, 50 years after Jesus had died. And from what Jesus had said, everyone was expecting that Jesus was going to come again. That somehow, some way, unexpectedly, unannounced, Jesus was going to return and was going to bring all of God's people, all the world, to himself, to God. And the kingdom would be complete, finished, realized, finalized, brought into its fullness. And so as generations after Jesus went on, they kind of lived their lives in such a way as any day now. It could be happening. It could, it could be the day. Maybe not even get married because you, you just never know when Jesus is going to return. But 40, 50 years later, that's a long time. And so Matthew lifts all of that up through the words of Jesus' parable. We don't know. We don't know what the future is going to hold for us. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And even though we can try to plan so much, there is always so many variables that can affect the greatest of our plans. So when it comes to this parable, it's only found in Matthew's Gospel, and you see in it this... um, the sort of end of the story that no one's expecting. And it feels a little scary to think about, could any of us end up in that situation where we're like the foolish and we're not prepared? We don't have enough. We don't have what is needed. And then the door is just closed. And even as we call out, it's not open. It sounds like so contradictory to everything that we think and have heard about Jesus that is inviting and welcoming and full of grace and full of love and inclusive. And we think to ourselves, what what does this mean for me? That's where you gotta you gotta take a step back. And you have to remember it's a parable, and parables are symbolic. They're symbolic to help us think more deeply about a situation and about how it relates to our lives. Jesus tells us it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven and about how this bridegroom will come. Not sure exactly when, but this point in which the bridegroom returns. Now, of course, the groom, bridegroom, is connected to a bride, right? And so through the, the story, 
It's Jesus who is this bridegroom, his, this groom, and he will come at the right time and will be joined together as one with the church, with this community of believers, of followers that he has helped to create. That's the bride in the story. And all of these bride bridesmaids are, are maybe people that were a part of his house or uh, that are a part of this story in such a way that they were told to be ready and waiting for that moment. And of course, it comes not at all at an expected hour. It comes in the middle of the night, so much so that they have all fallen asleep. But we see this difference between those who were wise and those who were foolish. The wise not only had their lamps lit, but they had extra oil so that just in case they ran low, they would be able to refill. And then the foolish ones only showed up with their lamp. Didn't think ahead, didn't plan ahead, didn't have that extra oil flask with them. And this is the part where you have to be so, so careful because I would be that person. I would be the person that would forget to fill up my, my car and run out of gas. I would be that person that would, would forget something important that I needed as I was leaving the house and hope that along the way I would be able to come up with a plan B. But here's where you gotta take a step back and see that Jesus isn't just talking about stuff. He's not just talking about what we do to prepare, of what we need to have with us. Because you remember Jesus sent out the 70 with only like uh, one tunic and no extra sandals and no extra money and no extra bread for the journey. But he sent them out with basically what they had in order to trust that God would provide for them along the way through the people that they met. So what if in this story Jesus is not talking about the stuff that we have to have with us at all times, oil for our lamp and a lit lamp. What if he's talking about how we live our lives and how we choose to spend our time? Especially when you don't know Jesus' estimated arrival time. It would be really easy for any one of us to just kind of take a seat in the way back, not do anything, not show up for anything, not bother praying for anyone or anything, to just sort of have Christian be one of the names, one of the titles that we call on from time to time, but not really have it be a part of who we are and who others see us to be. It would be easy to do all that. It would be easy for us to put on following Jesus on hold until we have more time, 
until we're, we're at a place when we have things all figured out or we're not in the midst of raising our kids or we're um, at the right place and the, the right moment where we feel like we can do something or, or talk about why Jesus and why the church is important to us. Maybe someday we'll have time for that. There will be plenty of time before time's up, before our clock runs out, before Jesus comes again, right? Surely, plenty of time. Jesus, can you just tell us, though, when you're coming back? So that just before you come, we can make sure that we kick it into high gear and we do the things that you want us to do. What if, what if that image of having your lamp lit is a reference to how those wise bridesmaids live, of the works that they do, of the good things that they do, of the ways in which they have tried to live what Jesus has taught them in these really small ways each and every day. I'm not getting it perfect by any means, but just trying. Just trying to shine a little bit of the light that they have been given of Christ within them. In order that others might see what they do and who they are and how they live and give glory to God for that light. What if in our story, Jesus talks about don't wait until the last minute to live as my disciples, but live as my disciples, shining the light that is within you every day, all throughout your days, until the time in which I return. For those foolish bridesmaids, it's almost like they thought they had more time and they hadn't really bothered to do much of anything about Jesus, about what he had taught them, about what he had shared with them. It was like they were Christians in name only but not in who they were. And so even as they tried to borrow what the wise bridesmaids had, they really couldn't because it was a part of who they were. It wasn't just this material good that they had. It was their life. It was their identity. And so as hard as it is to hear how the end of that parable goes, we know that in part it was because they weren't quite interested in doing anything while they could to live as Jesus' disciples and to shine this light. Now, of course, the story ends where it does. 
probably for dramatic effect, probably to make us think, to hopefully make us want to change our lives if, if we see ourselves as the foolish ones, to choose a different path. We don't hear how God or how Jesus would end that story in the time that is yet to come. But all we know is this day right in front of us. So what will it be? What will you choose? We're not perfect by any means. But in some small way, if we give any attention or energy into shining light, we won't have to worry about Jesus' ETA. And moreover, the people around us will be able to be blessed by Jesus' spirit being present here and now in this world in the most amazing of ways. Amen.